We turn now in this first session on Ephesians 5, 3 through 7, to the big picture of how Paul argues in these verses. And then in future sessions, we'll go back and deal with many details because so much is relevant and crucial here about the living of the Christian life and how Paul helps us to become the kind of people who are in sync with our true identity in Christ. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness are not even to be named among you, as is proper among saints. And shamefulness and foolish talk and crude joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. And there's a main verb not in that sentence. I realize that, and I'll have to ask what it should be, because I just tried to translate it very literally. For, be sure of this, that every sexually immoral one, or impure one, or covetous one, that is, an idolater, does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, do not become partners with them. Father, as we try to see now just the big picture in this session of how Paul is arguing for not participating in sexual immorality or impurity or or covetousness, you might grant us to see the force of his argument, that we would embrace it as a gift to us, and that it would have its due effect in breaking any power of of immorality or impurity or covetousness in our lives. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the key to seeing the big picture here is to notice a parallel. Sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness are not even to be named among you as is proper among the saints. And then a kind of intervening exhortation and shamefulness and foolish talk and crude joking which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. So don't let these rise up among you, but rather let thanksgiving come out of your mouth because, now notice what this refers to, because, for, be sure of this, that every sexually immoral one corresponds to that, or impure one corresponds to that, or covetous one corresponds to that. So there's the tip-off that he's got the big picture in mind here. He hasn't left behind these three statements because he repeats them here personally. Four, be sure of this, that every sexually immoral one, every impure one, every covetous one, that is an idolater, has 
no inheritance, does not have an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. And then he's not finished with the argument yet, though that's pretty basic. Don't be involved in sexual immorality, impurity, covetousness, because those three kinds of people, those those people who are marked by those three things, will not inherit the kingdom of God. They will perish. They will go to hell. They will come under the wrath of God, which is what he says here. Let no one deceive you with empty words. That is, don't let anybody make you think that you are so secure that if you live in these things, you won't experience eviction from the uh, kingdom of Christ. Let no one deceive you with empty words. For because of these things, these three things here, because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. So don't become partners with them. So he returns to the imperative. He starts, let, let it all be, not even be named among you. Don't be partners with such people. Get rid of it out of your life. Or to use the language of the preceding verses, put off your old self. Remember that from the preceding verses? The old self of sexual immorality, the old self of impurity, the old self of covetousness. Let let thanksgiving abound in your lives to God for his grace in your life. Don't hold on to the old identity because if you do, you will not go to heaven. You will not inherit the kingdom of Christ and of God because the wrath of God is coming upon such people. Now, just the one big question before we next time, in the next several times, take up the details, the one big question is raised by this word inheritance. The word kingdom doesn't occur anywhere else in Ephesians, but the word inheritance does. Remember, back in chapter 1, in Christ, in him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. So this inheritance is guaranteed by the sealing work of the Holy Spirit, right? And we saw it again in chapter 4, verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So the question is, all right, if we are sealed for this inheritance, Does it make sense for Paul to threaten us with not coming into this inheritance if we participate in sexual immorality, impurity, and covetousness? In other words, if Paul teaches that there is a sealing work of the Holy Spirit for believers that guarantees their inheritance, of the kingdom of God, ought he to use threats and warnings 
to the people of God? And the answer is, he does, and therefore, yes, he should, because he's doing what God inspires him to do. Is that the way your mind works? I hope it is. We don't come to the text and say, oh, wait a minute, you can't do that because it's inconsistent with our security. We are sealed. And Paul knows that. He taught you were sealed. And yet this is the way he teaches. He warns us against even naming sexual immorality, impurity, and covetousness because such people will not inherit the kingdom of Christ. Now, how are we to make sense of it if we are secure? And the answer is, those who are genuinely sealed by the Holy Spirit will recognize that the Holy Spirit here is blessing us with one of his means of keeping us safe. Do you remember when I dealt with this passage in chapter 4, verse 30? I said that the way the Holy Spirit keeps us secure was by doing the work of the Spirit, namely his sanctifying work. We are not sealed like a vaccination secures us against some disease and we can go on eating poison or diseased food the rest of our life. We are sealed by an ongoing sanctifying work of the Holy, Holy, Holy Spirit. He sanctifies, he makes us holy, he keeps us so that at the end, Paul says in 2 Timothy 4.18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into his heavenly kingdom. He will cause me to inherit his heavenly kingdom. How? He will keep me safe. How? By giving me threats and warnings that frighten me from making peace with sin in my life. He will cause me to hate my immorality and hate my impurity and hate my bent towards covetousness and put them off so that I don't lose my inheritance. And if you say, well, can you lose it? No, not ultimately. Because Paul would say, or John would say from 1 John 2.19, they went out from us because they were not of us. They went out because they were not of us. If they had been of us, they would not have gone out, but they went out that it might be seen that they were not of us. That's 1 John 2.19. In other words, if it turns out that you remain in immorality, remain in impurity, and remain in covetousness, you never were sealed. So, those who are genuinely sealed give thanks for these warnings. They don't laugh at them and scoff at them and say, I don't need a warning. I'm sealed. That's mocking the Holy Spirit. God will not be mocked. He gave us these warnings because he's God and he means to keep his children safe for his kingdom by warning them about his wrath that comes upon those who are indifferent to immorality, impurity, and covetousness.